Welcome to the CMB Fantasy Football League Podcast. Welcome back into another edition of the CMB Fantasy Football League Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 2nd. It is not April 1st. No April Fools uh, on this episode. But episode 109, I am joined with me as always by Zach Henson. Zach, are you doing? Doing well. Zach, we have on our draft guru, and like we've we've been calling on this for a while, but it's it's we've cemented it this week. Brian Franklin is back with us. It's just Brian this week. Um, we were able to bring him back on one more time. We're going to talk about some running backs. Brian, are you excited? Yeah, I'm not about the running backs, but I'm excited to be on the podcast. Ooh, a little tease. So we're going to talk running backs later. Like Brian mentioned, it's not really an exciting class, but um, there are a couple of names we want to talk about for sure. Uh, last time we did an episode, it was – at the, really at the beginning of, of March. I think it was like March 9th. So a lot has happened in the NFL. It was We previewed free agency. We're going to recap that a little bit, uh, obviously not get too deep in it because it was so long ago. Um, but, Zach, you uh, something big happened today. Was that today, right, with, with uh, your favorite sports team? Oh, yes, yeah. The uh, Braves signed Ronald Acuna to an eight-year, $100 million extension. What's crazy about that is the the recent deals for like Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, $100 million seems like a drop in the bucket. It doesn't even seem like that much anymore. No, yeah. I feel like it's a great deal for the Braves, especially if he turns into the player we all think that he will. I think it's a, uh, it's a great deal. Has he had – like I know last year he really came on strong. Has he had more than one year of success, or are they paying him based on last year? He, he hasn't even played like a full season if you count last year. Right. He wasn't even in the – uh, majors last year at this point so um, they're just basing it off of last year but he's a stud well I wanted to be sure and, and get some Braves talking because I know when it comes to the draft you like to go a little MIA go silent during the podcast I thought I'd give you that there a little, soft, little softball at the top thank you go Braves go Braves um, I mentioned earlier that April Fool's Day was yesterday April 1st and I I gotta admit I got duped on an April Fool's Day prank yeah it happens to the best of us. And I, I, I can't say this has ever happened to me before. I just – I forgot what day of the month it was. I didn't realize it was April already. And I saw a post on Instagram of a pretty official account, and it said – it's a picture of Kevin Byard, and it had breaking in all caps. And it said, Titans safety – Titans cut star safety Kevin Byard after he's arrested for stealing. And then it said, dot, 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 passes from opposing quarterbacks. So for like the first five seconds of reading that, I, I got a little nervous. So I got uh, I got duped. But um, Brian, I'll ask you, what is the cutoff age for April Fool's Day pranks? Because I think more and more adults are using or you know making these pranks, and I'm just kind of getting annoyed with them. I'm gonna go the other direction. I love them. I love them all. <laughs> uh, but I did read something the other day, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Whoever is getting pranked should be laughing at the end of it. So. As long as that is going on, then I'm all for them. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I've worked like a corporate job, so I understand like office pranks and office humor. And I think I told you guys recently, I, I just started watching like The Office from start to finish recently. I'd always been kind of a casual fan. I watched episodes here and there, but it hasn't been until recently where I've gone and watched from like the beginning to the end. And I watched the one today, actually. It wasn't really an April Fool's Day prank that Michael was doing, but it was the one where – uh, he basically is spreading the rumor that Stanley is having an affair uh, with his nurse. And so he starts spreading rumors about everyone around the office. And there's just so much office pranks and like office 
just stuff that's not PC in that show that would never fly in, in 2019. And I feel like a lot of like April Fool's Day type pranks in that show would not survive in this era. Um, so we will move on. I just, I thought, I don't know if you guys had any, any good April Fool's Day pranks you heard about yesterday. Well, my mom pulled one on me. I'll keep it short, but basically she, she had me going that my sister is selling her house and she was so serious when she said it straight face and everything. And, and my sister's been trying to sell her house and she told me that she sold it for $10,000 more than what they were asking. And I just could not believe it. And I fell hook, line and sinker for it. She had me going for a while, and then she told me April Fool's. So, wait. So Emily's still trying to sell her house. She she didn't actually sell it. No, she didn't. She goes, oh. hey, hey, uh, Emily sold her house. <laughs> and she sold it for ten thousand dollars more than what she was asking. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I've never heard of anything like that. And I was like, so you're telling me if I've got a house for sale for a hundred thousand dollars, somebody came up and said, hey, I'm going to give you a hundred and ten. She was like, yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm just sitting there just believing all this so it's was, it was pretty bad does, it, does emily know about this prank uh yeah i think she told her and they all laughed at me so okay i was gonna say because if i was trying to sell my house and somebody was joking about me selling it when i actually hadn't i would uh be kind of upset yeah no they all laughed at me that's good brian do you have any i didn't get pranked by i, I didn't get fooled by any of them yesterday i don't, I don't know if i was just on top of things, or it was just a cynical day, and I wasn't believing anybody about anything. I, I didn't get fooled by any of it. The one that I liked the most that I saw on social media was that one, because I like anything that's got like a long game in mind. And so that woman who kept all of her Amazon Prime boxes, kept all the empty boxes, she had to have done it for a year or more and put them all out in front of her house. So when her husband came home, he saw like, a hundred plus boxes and thinking probably freaked out like oh my gosh how, what did you buy so i thought that one was pretty funny i haven't seen that i'll have to look it up that's pretty good um yeah this is why we have you on brian because you don't get fooled and uh you're generally a pretty smart guy so this is why we have you on to talk about the draft uh but before we do that let's take a trip around the league let's take a trip around the league Guys, the biggest news story of the last couple of weeks outside of the big uh, free agent, you know, signings and the two big trades that we'll talk about was tight end Rob Gronkowski retires at the age of 29. Brian, were you shocked at all that he retired this soon? If he stays retired, I'll be shocked. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's kind of, I think he's always been an emotional guy. And I think once the competitive juices start flowing again, he sees people going back to training camp or maybe at the start of the season. He'll see guys playing and having fun or, you know, maybe there's an injury or something that happens and somebody will try to lure him out of it. I, I don't think we've seen the last of Gronk, but if we have, yes, I am surprised at 29 he decided to retire. I tend to agree. I think he might come back as well. I've heard that, you know, maybe he doesn't want to participate in the offseason program. Uh, come week six, seven, may want to come back, that kind of thing. I could see that happening. Um, but like you said, if this if this is you know it for Gronk, if he's calling it quits and he's you know he's staying done, pretty great career, uh, even for only playing nine seasons. So, uh, 521 catches, 7,861 yards, and 79 receiving touchdowns in 115 games. Uh, like I said, over nine seasons, he missed one season uh, totally through for injury. Um, three Super Bowl wins uh, that he was actually a part of. Uh, you know when. One in 2014, uh, 16, and 18. Though he, he didn't play in that Super Bowl in 2016, uh, the win over the Falcons. 
a great career. I mean, just two full seasons of actually of playing all 16 games. So his first two years were the only years where he actually played every game. Five Pro Bowls, four first-team All-Pros. Uh, here's where he ranks, though, and I was kind of shocked by some of these numbers. When it comes to receptions among tight ends, he's 15th all-time. He's behind guys like Ben Watson, Jeremy Shockey, Heath Miller, Greg Olson, and Vernon Davis. So I think that probably caught some people uh, by surprise. But then again, Ben Watson is like 40 years old, and he's been playing in the NFL since probably 2003. So uh, I was a little shocked there where he ranks uh, numbers-wise. He's ninth in receiving yards among tight ends all-time. Um, but he is tied for third all-time uh, in receiving touchdowns among tight ends. So a great career for Gronk. Brian, you think he's the first ballot Hall of Fame guy? Oh, I don't know about first ballot. He may get it on name recognition, but I don't think his play uh, reflects that, that, that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he is a Hall of Famer. I think he's one of the best tight ends of all time, but I, I don't think that he's a first ballot guy. Yeah, it's hard to not put him in that top one to three, one to five tight end, you know, category. I mean, Shannon Sharp, Kellen Winslow, senior. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to Antonio Gates maybe in that top five conversation. It's hard to not talk about Gronk when you talk about the best tight ends of all time. So uh, we'll yeah, miss Gronk if he doesn't come back. Too, you got to think too. You know, he had Brady his whole career. Right. So you've got. You know, arguably, I mean, at the very least, one of the top three quarterbacks of all time throwing to you pretty much every game your entire career. So I don't put him in the top five. I I think he's somewhere around seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there for me. But I wouldn't argue if you do put him in the top five. That could be a fun Hall of Fame class if he stays retired and he gets to go in first ballot. It'll be the same year that Julius Peppers is eligible. And I think Peppers is a uh, first ballot guy myself. Uh, the biggest uh, the biggest story, though, the biggest uh, move, I would say, that was kind of early in free agency was the Oakland Raiders trade for Antonio Brown with the Pittsburgh Steelers. All they give up is a third and a fifth-round pick. We talked about A.B. and what teams he might go to. Uh, and it was initially reported the night before the actual trade took place that um, A.B. was going to go to the Buffalo Bills. And so he backs out of the deal, apparently. The Bills backed out and A.B. backed out. And it looks like um, – you know, this looks like a better landing spot for Antonio Brown, Mr. Big Chest, to go to Oakland instead of Buffalo. But it's, it's still not great. What were your thoughts on the trade overall, uh, Brian? Oh, I think it's a great deal for the Raiders. They only have to give up a third and a fifth. Is that right? Right. That's, uh, that, that's just not a whole lot. Um, and and I, I believe they had some cap room, too. So that wasn't that m- much of a big deal for them. But I don't know that – this is their window, though, to, to use a 30-year-old wide receiver. I mean, even if he is one of the best in the league, I don't think they're going to be competitive for a Super Bowl next year or maybe even the year after that. So I like the trade in terms of the talent and what you had to give up for it, but I'm not sure I like the team so much. Well, in some of his most successful seasons in Pittsburgh, he had a really dynamic, I wouldn't say elite, but a dynamic receiver opposite the field. So Juju Smith-Schuster we saw recently, uh, Mike Wallace before, Emmanuel Sanders before. He's always had somebody opposite to kind of take away coverage. Um, and I think he's he doesn't have that now in, in Oakland. Uh, they did sign Tyrell Williams. We'll talk about that later from the Chargers. So he has some people beside him that can kind of help take some of the, the coverage away, but um, the thing that that propelled AB outside of his own talent alone was Ben Roethlisberger, and he's missing that in Oakland. Uh, Derek Carr, 
kind of in that same plane of like Marcus Mariota, where you don't really know what you have in him. Uh, the Raiders are still trying to figure out Derek Carr. You, you know, they've been rumored to maybe even try and uh, draft Kyler Murray if he doesn't go number one overall. So uh, we'll see what happens with, with AB and the Raiders. But uh, like we said, that move away from Pittsburgh was inevitable. So he is now a member of the black and silver. Is that what they call the Raiders? I don't know. Uh, the next big move, though, and this one actually happened more recently. This was last week, I think. Uh, the New York Giants trade away Odell Beckham Jr. to the Cleveland Browns for the number 17 overall pick, their third-round pick, the Browns uh, pick, and Jabril Peppers, one of their first-round picks from two seasons ago. Uh, Zach, you actually put this in the Facebook group. You have proposed odds on which team in CMB will draft Baker Mayfield with uh, now with, with Odell Beckham Jr. and his receiver core. Um, who do you think – well, first of all, what did you think of the trade for OBJ to the Browns, and who do you think in our league is going to draft Baker? Um, well, that was a great trade for the Browns. And uh, what, did you, what do you think about the odds? I felt like it's pretty good. Yeah, I like, I like that a lot. That was like uh, – you're like our business insider. You're like our Darren Rovell there. Yeah. Um, I don't think that – that Rob and Jeff will take them. I just did that out of uh, respect to the, the fandom of the Browns that, that Rob has. Um, I would imagine, I, I would like to have been there when Rob got the news out. I, I, he might've either just kind of raised his eyebrows a little bit, or maybe just kind of shook his head. You know, that's what I, I feel like probably happened, but uh, either way, I know he's excited deep down inside, but I don't, I don't think that they'll, they'll draft him. I think Baker will go to either Jake or Ross and Reed. Yeah, I, I like those odds as well. I'm, I'm kind of thinking Ross and Reed will do a classic Ross and Reed, maybe uh, maybe over by or, or just reach for, for a guy like Baker. Didn't, uh, didn't Ross show up in a Baker jersey? I, uh, it was either him or Tebow. It was one of the two. I, think I, like he, I, I know I, he showed up in a Tebow. I've seen that before. Yeah, it was Tebow as a Jet, right? That was definitely one of those jerseys that he found like at the Nike outlet store in Lebanon and just grabbed for like 15 bucks. Um, But yeah, I like those odds, Zach. And looking at Cleveland's fantasy relevant lineup, you have Odell Beckham Jr. Now Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, David Njoku, Nick Chubb in the backfield, Duke Johnson for the time being, I know he requested a trade today. Uh, And then Kareem Hunt after week eight. So this is a pretty stacked offense if everything's rolling the right way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's going to be exciting to see. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens when Kareem Hunt comes back from the suspension. But uh, Browns, the arrow is pointing up for them, and um, there will be a lot of Cleveland Browns being drafted this year in fantasy leagues. Let's just throw this out there, too, because every time we've mentioned the Browns in the Facebook group, like when you mentioned these odds and when we talked about the trade, uh, I've seen a lot of comments from Reed Garrison talking about the Brownies and how excited he is for the Browns. Look, there's one – Browns fan or one team of Browns fans in this league let it let it not be mistaken it's it's Rob and Jeff Goff well yeah but I mean you got to think Ross has uh Instagram I don't know how many of you guys are following him but uh, his last six posts three of them are with his wife one is of LeBron and then two are of the Cleveland Browns with uh Baker Mayfield and then Landry as well so the wife is leading with three two of the Browns and one of LeBron so so the garrisons are all in, you're saying? I think so, yeah. All right, well, involved in that trade for Odell Beckham Jr., in the talks at least, uh, were the San Francisco 49ers. Their GM, John Lynch, at the uh, NFL, the owners meeting last week in Phoenix, said that 
they were involved with talks with, uh, you know, Dave Gettleman, the GM of the Giants, and they talked about making the trade for Odell Beckham Jr., but they have the number two overall pick right now, the 49ers do, and they just weren't willing, willing to, to roll the dice there and, and make that trade. Um, so they're going to roll this year with Marquise Goodwin, you know, the speedster who really can't stay healthy. But we're going to go with him and Jordan Matthews, Carver Moore's boy. Uh, George Kittle at tight end, obviously. So if Jimmy G returns and is fully healthy from his ACL tear, I think the 49ers will be fine. But, man, it would have been cool to see OBJ uh, in the Bay Area. Yep. What could have been? Speaking of the 49ers, it was, there's a story that was on Pro Football Talk this past week about the Niners sold – two seats in their draft war room for $22,000. It was, I uh, went to charity, but that basically what, what this person, you know, the, the people who paid for this package, they get to sit in the war room during the draft. And I think they get to go on like a, a dinner or something with Jimmy G. Um, so Brian, hearing this story, whose draft war room would you want to sit in on this year? If you could pay $22,000 to sit in their draft room. There's, there's, there's nobody that I would sit in their draft room and have to pay $22,000 for the privilege to do so. That's just, that's an insane amount of money that really doesn't matter. Just to hear guys talking about prospects, talking about potential trades, agreeing on a guy, sending the pick in, and then, you know, all patting each other on the back like they did something special. <laughs> that's not worth $22,000 to me. But if you could pay- But if I had to pick one, I'd go with the one that has the most first round picks, which is the Raiders. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, could pick, if you could pay $22, you'd pick the Raiders. Why would you pick uh, the Oakland Raiders? They've got the most first-round picks. I think uh, they've got the most potential to be moving around all over the draft. The only, the only thing that I could think would be mildly entertaining would be talking, uh, watching the GMs, you know, wheel and deal and do all of that stuff because you really don't get to see too much of that. But, uh, you know, the walking around and patting each other on the back, yeah, I've, I've seen that before. I don't need to be in the draft room for that. Right. And the trade, my team would be the Giants, the New York Giants, based on that trade we talked about earlier, because now they have two first round picks, a couple of high picks as well. Um, so I would like to see what the Giants do. They're the two first rounders. They need a lot of help at a lot of positions. They traded away Olivier Vernon, too. Um, so a lot of their pieces are now gone and they need a quarterback. I know, you know they're, they're going to try and, and see what they can do with Eli uh, over this year and possibly even into next year. But I'll be curious to see what they do. Um, with the two first-round picks they have, and if they make a move at like Dwayne Haskins or if Kyler Murray falls, if they if they take a flyer on him. So the Giants are kind of who I'm interested in, in seeing this year in the draft. Another trade here, this one not as big as the A.B. or Odell Beckham Jr. trades. Who, I mean, are those two, Zach, would you say those two are the uh, top two receivers interchangeably in the NFL? Oh, they're right up there if they're not. So, I mean, that was, that was quite the uh, – this has been quite the offseason for the NFL. Like, could you imagine if both of those receivers were traded right before the trade deadline and CMB? I mean, it would just be crazy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just the NFL never sleeps. Yeah, you're right. So there's a trade most recently, and this one not as big a deal, but the Bears trade running back Jordan Howard to the Eagles, and they get back a 2026th round pick. So it's basically like a ham sandwich, like we'd like to say. Um, Jordan Howard had a, a promising start to his career a few years ago. Uh, but the Bears drafted Tariq Cohen in 2017, and that pretty much sealed Jordan Howard's fate, at least put it into jeopardy, because Cohen, he's five foot six, but he's the featured back in Chicago, and you just you don't see that happen too often. Uh, but Cohen's pretty special. So, uh, Brian, were you surprised by this Jordan Howard trade, and what do you think about his, uh, his possibility or his opportunity in Philly? 
I wasn't surprised by it. It had been rumored for a while that he was on the outs in Chicago and they were looking around for a trade partner. Uh, I, I love the trade for the Eagles, though. For only a 2026th round pick, you get to take a flyer on a guy who's still really young, who's still on his rookie contract, and had a ton of success in the right system. So take a flyer on him for a 2026th round pick. I mean, I think it's a great idea. Howard had his first sub-1,000 yard season in uh, this past year. So that kind of explains his low trade value. But I, I feel like the Bears probably could have gotten a little more uh, the next year's sixth seemed like it feels like nothing. Uh, Jay Ajayi is gone from Philly, so that means Howard he could be the feature back, but it'll probably be more like a committee of, uh, of Howard, Corey Clement, Josh Adams, who you guys had last year, and uh, and Wendell Smallwood. Philly's backfield, with the exception of like Shady McCoy and Brian Westbrook, like in the mid 2000s, it's never really been a fun ride for fantasy football. They've always been kind of a boring committee with no true back, so. I'll be interested to see if, if maybe Jordan Howard becomes like a lead back. Uh, next bit of news here, this one involving the Raiders as well, is wide receiver Jordy Nelson retires at age 33. He had similar numbers to Gronk, actually, uh, if this is the end of his career as well. 613 catches, 8,587 yards, and 72 touchdowns over 10 seasons, though he actually only played in nine, had that torn ACL in 2015. Uh, his three-season stretch of 2013, 2014, and 2016, he had 85, 98, and 97 catches, and he had three seasons with double-digit receiving touchdowns. So he was on a tear there for a couple of years, led the league in receiving touchdowns in 2016, and was the comeback player of the year. Brian, is he Hall of Fame worthy, Jordy Nelson? Oof, he's, he's on the cusp. I think no. Uh, but one interesting thing about Jordy Nelson is that he and Aaron Rodgers hold, they broke uh, Brett Favre and I think it was Antonio Freeman's, maybe yeah. wrong about that, Green Bay record for quarterback wide receiver touchdown combination. So he was really special there for a few years, but I think just those few years of being exceptional doesn't mm -hmm. put him in the Hall of Fame. Zach, you were a quick no. Yeah, that's the same thought I had. Is I mean, you just had like two to three really good years, and that was it. I don't think that, that that gets you in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I heard Chris Wessling from the NFL Network talk about this on his podcast uh, around the NFL. Probably shouldn't talk about another NFL podcast. But uh, he, he just kind of said that it, it seems more like a, a ring of honor situation for the Packers. Like maybe they would honor him, not retire his jersey or anything, but put him in like some type of ring of honor for the Packers, but not really NFL Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, when you have two or three good years, if you're going to get in the Hall of Fame based on three years alone, they've got to be like really good Terrell Davis type years, you know? Like some people were surprised Terrell Davis got in for just two or three good seasons, but uh, no one should be surprised uh, to see Jordy Nelson not get in. We'll move on here. Uh, one, one other thing, I mentioned the NFL owners meetings in Phoenix last week. Head coach of the Ravens, uh, John Harbaugh, he said that he thinks the NFL draft should take place sooner in the year. So this will kind of kick off some of our draft talk, Harbaugh said that we don't need to be so involved where we need three months to watch the players ourselves. Let's draft these guys. Let's get them to us. Brian, what do you think about moving up the NFL draft date from uh, April, maybe earlier into the calendar year? Uh, I don't know about how much earlier it, it can go. I think, I think it can go a week or two earlier, maybe. I think, I think it still needs to be in mid to late April uh, just to give – uh, scouts the opportunity to go to all these pro days so you can kind of spread the pro days out a little bit bringing some of these prospects in for a personal sit-down visit 
that that definitely does take some time. I'm not sure how much earlier we could really do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak for Zach, but selfishly, I kind of like having the draft later in the year because after the season's over, we get some time to kind of sit back from the podcast, maybe take a little break. Yeah, no, I agree. John Harbaugh also said at the owners' meetings that the Browns are the most talented team in his division, the AFC North. Brian, do you agree with that, that the, the Browns, not the, not his Ravens, are the most talented team in the North? It's kind of looking that way. Definitely offensively the most talented team. But with all that Pittsburgh has lost, and I don't think that the Ravens are actually that incredibly talented, and, and the Bengals will probably take a step back too, I think this is definitely the Browns' year in the AFC North. I don't know what it is about him, but there's something about Fat Freddy Kitchens that I just like. I think he's he's kind of a country boy. He's kind of uh, marches to his own drum. I, I like Freddy Kitchens. I think he's probably the most – I don't know, maybe, maybe stable is not the word, but he's probably the best thing the Browns have had at head coach in a long time. They've just screwed it up so many times. They're bound to, to you know, hit something, and, and I think Freddy Kitchens might be it. Let's do an NFL uh, free agency review. We'll go over some of the big names here. We talked about some of the trades that took place, um, but the the Jets making a lot of moves here. The biggest move in free agency outside of those trades, of course, was Le'Veon Bell. The Jets signed him to a deal that really was not as lucrative as he was saying he wanted. Zach, were you surprised that the Jets were the ones that landed Bell, and what did you think of, of where he ended up? Yeah, I just thought the whole process was just – absolutely bizarre for Le'Veon so I mean Sam Darnold's over there so maybe he can turn it around but I, I don't I don't know what good it really did for him to to uh sit out but maybe he feels good about the whole situation biggest quarterback to be moved in free agency was definitely Nick Foles guy won a Super Bowl two years ago and the Eagles released him or let him walk and uh they didn't tag him like some thought they would he signs with the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and subsequently the Jags uh, release Blake Bortles. So, Brian, what do you think in the upgrade the Jags made from Bortles to Nick Foles? Yeah, I definitely think it's an upgrade. Uh, I mean, that's that's probably the most obvious statement I've ever made on this podcast because <laughs> Blake Bortles is awful. Yeah, he is. He is the second worst quarterback who got regular. No, no, I'll say the third worst quarterback who I think got regular snaps last year behind. Nathan Peterman in Buffalo, because that guy's awful. <laughs> and then the Titans' very own backup QB. <laughs> who, oh, come on. No, no. He's terrible. Oh, the Blaine train. And no, I, I cannot stand Blaine Gabbert. I think he is one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen. <laughs> I thought he was one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen when he came out of Missouri. And I loved that the Jaguars drafted him. And I love that they had Blake Bortles. So now that they have a competent quarterback who has an offensive coordinator who is very familiar with his skill set and how to use him, that kind of makes me worried as a Titans fan. Yeah, and I, I was surprised that this – it just seemed like a perfect marriage. They, they, get to, they get to sign a franchise quarterback or maybe not a franchise quarterback. He's played on about four or five teams. But I was just – I was surprised that everything worked out according to plan for them. Like you mentioned, they get they get John DeFilippo, who worked with with Foles in Philly. So everything's kind of working out for the Jags. I got to say, I'm going to miss Blake Bortles, old BB Gun. I'm going to miss him uh, playing the Titans twice a year. So we'll miss seeing Blake Bortles. Uh, moving on here, the 49ers made some moves, like we talked about earlier, but they signed Tevin Coleman 
who um, got out of Atlanta. Tevin Coleman, one of my favorite fantasy running backs. I feel like I've had him two or three seasons here recently. But he's a guy who just – he needs an opportunity to thrive somewhere where he, he can be a lead back. Um, he was never going to be a starter with Devonta Freeman uh, in Atlanta. Though Freeman's been hurt a lot, Coleman was able to shine. And I just I, – I like his chance here in, in, uh, in San Francisco. Zach, what do you think about um, a committee that's going to look like Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, and uh, – sorry to mention it, but Jarek McKinnon? Just gross. I mean, fan, from a fantasy perspective, I don't know what we're going to do. So, just one of those things you'll just have to see see what happens. But uh, that does not sound fun uh, from a drafting standpoint for fantasy. Brian, Zach, are you guys kind of burned on Jarek McKinnon? You you probably won't take a flyer on him this year. I think we're just burned from uh, that terrible trade we made. So, right. Yeah. Thanks. All right, and then moving on here, this is another former NFC South running back. The Baltimore Ravens signed Mark Ingram. Uh, he leaves the New Orleans Saints. And another thing where, I, you know, I, I kind of get the move. It seems like John Harbaugh and the Ravens have kind of made some random moves in the last couple of years. Like they signed John Brown and uh, Michael Crabtree a year ago, and neither of those work out. So they, they make these moves all the time in free agency. Mark Ingram's the newest one. Brian, what kind of role do you see for Mark Ingram? It, it, their offense is probably 80% run with, with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think it'll be a pretty similar role to what he had with the Saints, probably just a few more opportunities because they run the ball so much more. For some reason, I, I think he's a good fit there just with his running style. Something about it just leads me to believe that he's the right style of running back for a run-heavy system. Uh, maybe it was his time in Alabama when everybody – that was before they were throwing the ball around all the time and everybody would just stack the box against them and, and he would still rip off some of these big runs. So he's used to having a stacked box. I don't know. Maybe it's that, but it seems like Mark Ingram, I think will be a good fit with Baltimore. They had kind of a confusing backfield to end the season last year, but it looked like Gus Edwards was going to become a bell cow. So I was surprised that they, they made this signing, but like I said, they, they kind of do this thing every year. Uh, we'll, we'll roll through these last ones here kind of quickly, but these are just the big names. Of course, we didn't want to get too, um, you know, drilled down to individual teams, but the Jets signed Jamison Crowder, Zach Bryan. I know you guys hearing that name kind of triggers you guys. I feel like he's, he's uh, disappointed you guys in the past, right? Yes. So Jamison Crowder goes to the Jets, not a, a big name signing. He's, he's got a lot of upside, but has just never been able to stay healthy. And then I mentioned earlier, the Raiders signed Tyrell Williams, um, this is what I was shocked by, and Brian, maybe you'll agree. So the Colts signed Devin Funches. Between Devin Funches and Justin Houston, late in the free agency, those are the only two moves that they made, yet they had the most money to spend uh, this free agency. Were you surprised at all that, that really Devin Funches and Justin Houston was it for the Colts? Yeah, it really was. I thought they would do a lot more because I think they're a team that made the playoffs. They're on the up and up. You'd think they've got the most money out of anybody, like you said. You'd think they'd be big spenders to try to get a team that can definitely win the AFC South and, and can contend for a Super Bowl. But I don't really know what they were thinking, but I'm glad they didn't make a bunch of moves as a Titans fan. And being a Titans fan, like you mentioned, uh, the Titans signed Adam Humphreys. The first, outside of re-signing Kenny Vaccaro, is the first move that they made in free agency. Caught some people by surprise only because I don't think – I think people were shocked that the Titans were looking for a slot receiver in free agency. Thought maybe they'd, they'd wait for the draft, but uh, they they spend quite a bit on Adam Humphreys uh, to get a true slot receiver 
really a position they've not had in quite some time. I mean, I'm trying to think of the last true slot receiver, maybe the one season like 2013 when Kendall Wright had over 100 receptions. Titans have not had a true slot receiver. What are your thoughts on the Titans signing Adam Humphreys, Brian? I have mixed feelings. I like Adam Humphreys. I, I, I think it was definitely something that we needed, that an, another safety net, because I think that was the biggest thing missing from the Titans offense last year was when Delaney went down. I don't think Marcus had the same kind of safety net and comfortability and to stay in the pocket and just know that he's going to have a guy open at the end of this. So I think it was definitely a position of need because we don't know how well Delaney is going to come back. But I hate giving that much money to a guy that who, like you said, you can find a similar type player the later rounds of the draft. A guy that I really like out of Clemson is Hunter Renfro, a very similar type player who, you, you know, not great in measurables, uses a lot of short area quickness to get open. And I think he's going to be available pretty late in the draft. Um, so I think that's somebody that, you know, we could have targeted, but then again, there might be 31 other teams out there targeting him too. So maybe it's best that you clearly hone in on this one guy that you know is going to be effective, even if it does cost you a little bit. A similar trend you'll notice every year is that I, I think GMs and just scouting departments in general, they'll, they'll make the first wave, you know, the first couple of weeks, the, obviously the first few days of free agency, then you have a few weeks after where some, some names, you know, start to get signed. But I think there's that big break, right? It's like last week through the rest of uh, this waiting period before the draft. And then you'll see some moves come after the draft because I think teams are waiting uh, and to see what, what shakes out with the draft. You know, not, guys like Quentin Spain from the Titans, I know it's a guard. It's not really fantasy relevant. But names like that who haven't been signed yet, they're, they're not going to get as much money maybe as they thought they would have you know, gotten earlier or that they'd hoped to get. But um, these, these names aren't signed right now because there's no point. Let's, let's wait and see what's available in the draft. And then right after that, we'll make some signings. Then you have guys that last up until almost training camp, like Kenny Vaccaro from last year. So we're definitely not done talking about free agency. Guys will continue to get signed. Uh, but it is time to talk about the NFL draft uh, taking place, like we've said, here in Nashville, Tennessee, Guys, I'm excited about this draft because it's obviously it's here in person. So I'm going to I'm going to attend. I'll have to report back uh, for the podcast, but we'll continue to talk about things that are actually going to take place at the draft. But before we do that, let's talk about uh, some of these prospects. Brian, we talked last episode, we talked about quarterbacks and tight ends and we get, did sort of a deep dive. Uh, you know, I think you and Rich did a really good job covering uh, those position groups and and what seems like a pretty uh, I wouldn't say a strong draft for quarterbacks, but there are a lot of tight ends, it sounds like, in this year's draft. Just covering running backs, uh, Brian, we're going to talk about seven names here. Top names, I would say, that's been discussed the most in this draft, and these are in no particular order. Uh, but, Brian, I know, you know, being a fan of the SEC and watching a lot of games in the SEC, two names from the University of Alabama – uh, who are those guys, Brian, and, and maybe who are your favorite out of Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris? I think Josh Jacobs is, is clearly the best running back in this draft. And I think he has the best value in the sense that he can do so many different things better than Damian Harris can. I think Damian Harris is a great, you know, between the tackles runner and he has great vision and, and all of that stuff. But Josh Jacobs does a whole lot more 
uh, a greater variety of things out of the backfield. And I, I think that that's seen with a lot of value in, in the NFL today. So I definitely think he's going to be the first guy coming off the board is Josh Jacobs. Are any of these guys first round worthy? I mean, I know Jacobs is the best in this class, but would you put him in the class of like Saquon Barkley and guys that have, you know, Leonard Fournette, Zeke Elliott, guys that have gone top five picks last couple of years? No, no, I don't think he's up that high. I think his best case scenario is somewhere closer to the end of the first round, mm. but I think he's probably a better value at the beginning of the second. So Josh Jacobs uh, leaving his during his junior year from Bama, uh, his comp is Sony Michelle. This is what I've I've seen online. A lot of people have compared him to Michelle and his skill set. He's considered an every down back, unlike a lot of these other running back prospects. Uh, could be a bell cow. He he doesn't have as much wear and tear as some other Bama running backs that we've seen in the past. Not as much tread on the tire, uh, but between his skill set, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I mean, he's basically a, a better version of T.J. Yeldon from Bama. Would you say that's a good comp, Brian? I'd say he's – yeah, I'd say that's a fairly good comp. I think he's much better than T.J. Yeldon. I never thought T.J. Yeldon was that physically gifted, and I think Jacobs is much more agile mm-hmm. than T.J. Yeldon was at about the same size, catches the ball much more naturally out of the backfield. So I, I think he's a much better prospect than T.J. Yeldon. But I think Sony and Michelle, that's, that's a really good comp. Uh, their running styles aren't incredibly similar, but they do so many different things well. Right. The other running back from Bama is Damian Harris, who leaves as a senior. Uh, his comp was Cedric Benson, which I'd have to think back. It's been a while since I've seen Benson play, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to, to break that down here. But Damian Harris, both he and Jacobs are 5'10", and in the 215 to 220 range. Uh, so kind of a similar stat, stature, but they don't look, the same when they're playing on the field if that makes any sense same height and weight but Harris he's just he's a big guy I mean he was the bell cow in 2016 the year after Derrick Henry went pro and he played quite a bit in 2017 before he shared the backfield uh, last year with Jacob so uh, Harris is a power back he doesn't have that quick speed he ran a 4.5740 at the combine so uh, all the things you just mentioned about Harris yeah I'm with you I don't I don't see him as a first round or maybe even a second round um, type player, but to tell you the truth, like I, I really feel like Jacobs and maybe Harris are the only start now type running backs in this class that could start from day one. What do you think about that? I would agree with that. I, and I don't even know that Damian Harris is a guy that starts from day one. I think Damian Harris is always going to be a guy that's part of a committee. Really the only guy that has a clear cut chance to be a bell cow back in this draft at the running back position is Josh Jacobs. Right. Brian, you've talked about Justice Hill on the last episode. He's the junior running back from Oklahoma State. Uh, real quick, I'll let you kind of break him down, but I saw a comp of Philip Lindsay from last year. What do you think about Justice Hill and maybe comparing him to a guy like Philip Lindsay? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good comparison. I think there's a lot of guys who kind of look like Justice Hill and, and what he does that are in the NFL today. Another one that I've seen is uh, – Giovanni Bernard uh, with the Bengals. He's one of these guys who's he's definitely smaller. He's he's only 198 pounds is what he's listed at, but he's just lightning quick. Uh, he ran a 4.440 and a 40 inch vertical leap, jumped 10-10 in the broad jump. So this is a guy with a lot of explosive athleticism that I think a team will draft him somewhere around three, maybe around four, and look to get him out in space. He's a guy I really like. 
Uh, the next one here, and again, these aren't really in any type of ranked order, though we did talk about the best two backs up at the top. Uh, but Mike Weber, the junior from Ohio State University, ran a 4.4740, pretty impressive for his size. He's a, he's a bigger guy, but he didn't really play with that burst at uh, Ohio State. Lance Zerline of NFL Network, where I'm getting a, a lot of this research from, uh, truthfully, he, he said that Weber's ceiling is really to be an RB3 in some type of committee. Do you, do you think the same thing about, about Weber? Yeah, I, don't, I, I think he's definitely going to be part of a split wherever he goes. He's a guy that, you know, I think I think he's all right, but he's he's not somebody that that I would have very high on my draft board if I was uh, looking at the running back position. Well, yeah, and his so he's coming out as a junior. I remember his sophomore season was I think he had probably had a better campaign as a sophomore. People were comparing him. They're going to say he's the next just because they went to the same school. He's the next Zeke Elliott uh, coming out of Ohio State. But there's they're totally opposite players. Uh, Weber nor even near Zeke's class so I, I agree with you there uh, sounds like he's a committee guy kind of the back end of a committee too maybe not getting that many carries but the next name here this is a guy I actually really like and I remember hearing about him all throughout his junior season this is the junior from uh, Memphis who has been compared to Tevin Coleman who we talked about earlier uh, Darrell Henderson Henderson is 5'8 210 pounds so he is thick with two C's uh, he ran an impressive 4.49 at the combine, and he also, I mean, for his size, kind of a bowling ball type, like a Maurice Jones-Drew almost. He's he's fast. He's not like MJD in that he's he's just a big guy that'll run you over, but he's got that home run hitting potential. Uh, it seems like a match made in heaven for Tecmo Power Runners. What do you know about uh, Daryl Henderson, Brian? I watched him a little bit in Memphis, and I liked what I saw, but. He's one of these guys for me that, that kind of gets – and I don't want to take away from his talent. I, I think he could – he's very capable of being a good running back. But he's one of these guys in this mix here that it seems like every year there are these running backs that come out and they all seem like they're about the same player. They're about the same size. They run about the same. They put up these, these gaudy numbers at these smaller schools or, or, or these schools where they're getting a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, they, they, they come in and they can potentially contribute, but really what it boils down to is, is him getting into the right situation where he gets the opportunity at the next level. Because I think there's so many of these guys that have such great measurables. They're so talented. They're so athletic. All they really need is, is the right opportunity. Yeah, and like you said, like these freakish athletes that come from these small schools, it works for some teams, right? Like we saw it here locally with Chris Johnson coming from ECU. He's a, he's a freak athlete, ran so fast at the combine before he came out, and he, he fell into the right opportunity. It was a run-based offense that had a power back in Lindell White, so it, it worked for him. Uh, at the receiver position, I mean, Antonio Brown was a late pick from a small school, and he was kind of a, a diamond in the rough, but that, that doesn't happen that often. And every year we're given, we're, you know, we're given talks about guys like, uh, you know, Daryl Henderson, who this could be the next, you know, CJ or the next Tyreek Hill or someone like that. But uh, I actually, I, I like Henderson. I'm not going to say he's, I'm not going to put him in the class with those names I just mentioned. But I think he's a guy that, you know, given the right opportunity, he could be a number two. Or if a guy gets injured and goes down after week two or three, he could take a, a big role and, and really be fantasy relevant. That's why I wanted to talk about him. He's a guy that can make a lot of fantasy plays any given Sunday. Uh, and then, Brian, this next name here, I know you i have talked about him before. 
I don't, I don't know if you're a fan or not of his, but I know you have some some stuff on Bryce Love, the senior running back from Stanford. What do you think about Love and, and his uh, his chance here coming back from injury uh, headed into the draft? Bryce Love is a guy that I, I really like, uh, especially if you're looking at that round five or round six range. This is a guy that I think you should definitely be taking a chance on if you're an NFL team that needs somebody who can catch the ball out of the backfield because he had an incredible junior year when he really should have been really should have come out because he rushed for 2118 yards and 19 touchdowns for a per carry average of 8.1 yards, 8 yards per carry mm-hmm. and he didn't catch a lot of passes there but he's shown the ability to do that uh, that's not really something they did at Stanford but like you said, he got injured, tore his ACL. You really, you're taking a chance on this guy for sure because he's injured. He came back and he didn't even have a really great season last year because teams just really stacked the box uh, against Stanford. But I think he's a guy that, given the right situation, could really explode because he has a lot of athletic ability and he's a home run hitter for sure. So here is Lance Zerline's comp for Bryce Love. Dion Lewis, what do you think about that? Yeah, I I don't know if he's as shifty as Deion Lewis, but he's definitely got better breakaway speed. I would say that for sure. But they are about the same size. Bryce Love may be a little bit taller because Deion Lewis is really only, I, mean, I don't know what he's listed at, but he's really only about 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. And Bryce Love's a little bit taller than that. But yeah, I, I, I could see that a little bit. People forget, I mean, kind of like how Oklahoma had back-to-back Heisman winners, Stanford had back-to-back running backs who were Heisman finalists. So the runner-up two years in a row is Christian McCaffrey. And then Bryce Love, like you mentioned, his junior season when he probably should have come out, he was the uh, runner-up in 2017 to Baker Mayfield, Bryce Love was. So he he had a really impressive college career, probably should have come out as a junior, like you said. But some of these running backs that should stay, like this next name I'm about to mention, you, you have some like Bryce Love who should have, have, have come out. Next name here is Elijah Holyfield, coming out as a junior from Georgia. He's 5'10", 220, had one of the worst combines, I would say, for a running back. Put up really a, a terrible 40 time, 4.78, which is like tight end slow. Uh, he did 26 reps on the bench, though, which explains his Mark Ingram comp, um, but probably should have stayed in school for a senior season, and he's probably going to be a backup uh, what are your thoughts on Evander Holyfield's son? Well, I, th- I think he's just that. I think even more is Evander Holyfield's son. I think he's gotten by on name recognition a lot and just kind of bullying people at at the high school and then at the college level. So I, I don't think he's going to be able to get away with that at the pros. His his The most alarming number, you mentioned the 40 time, the two most alarming numbers to me are a 29.5-inch vertical and only a 9-foot and 10-inch broad jump like for comparison's sake justice hill who i mentioned before he had a 10 foot 10 inch broad jump so there's a huge uh difference there between those two he's just i don't know that he has the foot quickness to be uh effective at the next level now maybe he just had a really bad combine but what i saw from him at georgia too i saw a guy who just liked to run people over and i don't I don't think that translates very well to the next level. Georgia's had such a great stable of running backs these last couple of years. I mean, Todd Gurley, obviously, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb in one draft class last year. You're saying Holyfield, not a member of that class? Oh, no, I don't think he is in the same class as any of those guys. 
So we t- we talked about the those were the top seven uh, rookies, rookie running backs. We'll see in this class, and uh, we'll kind of move on from the running backs here. But real quick, we well, let's compare. So last year's rookie running backs that we talked about here is kind of a, a recap or a review of last year's the high picks uh, of running backs in last year's the 2018 draft. Saquon Barkley. Uh, almost like a generational talent. I mean, he's a guy that doesn't really come around a lot at the running back position, and he went second overall. That's the highest a running back's been taken in such a long time. Who was, who was the running back the Bengals took in, like, the 1999 draft? You know what I'm talking about? First the overall. Bengals took first to, oh, Kajana Carter. Yes, uh, Carter. That was, that, yeah, that was back in the mid-'90s. He was out of Penn State. He was a guy that I remember. Probably kind of like, honestly, Elijah Holyfield. He was a guy who just ran people over. And like I said, that just doesn't translate well to the next level. So he was – Carter was definitely a bust and went to the same school as Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is a generational talent. I mean, he went second overall. He was the highest pick uh, a running back's been picked, I guess, since Carter. But he finished his rookie season with 1,307 rushing yards on 261 carries. Both of those numbers were second most in the NFL behind Zeke Elliott. Uh, so Barkley, I don't know if, if two is pretty high for running back, but he really a good class last year. Uh, this next name, not so much. Rashad Penny, uh, 27th overall by the Seahawks. He ranked 51st among running backs with just 419 rushing yards last year. He basically got leapfrogged by Chris Carson, who had the fifth most rushing yards in the league. Um, so kind of a disappointing rookie year for the Seahawks and for Penny. Uh, but the next two names here, both the backs from Georgia, Sonny Michelle, 31st overall pick missed four games in his rookie season, but still managed 931 rushing yards. And then Nick Chubb, uh, third pick in the second round, he had the 10th most rushing yards, uh, in the NFL and really had a limited role up until about week 10. Um, so I'm saying all this to say the running back class last year, I feel like we talked about with a lot of praise heading into the draft with Michelle and Chubb and Barkley uh, and even Penny. But I, I think a lot of those guys lived up to their potential. Um, outside of Barkley, Brian, from last year's class, I think Carryon Johnson, outside of Barkley, Carryon Johnson probably the best – is going to be the best running back uh, at the end of their careers of, of everyone in that class. I know he missed a lot of time last year. Um, but he, he missed six games, still managed to finish with 641 rushing yards. He just seems like an every down bell cow back, carry on Johnson. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on him possibly being the best back from last year uh, besides uh, Saquon Barkley, of course. I, I liked carry on Johnson coming out. I liked what I saw from him with the Lions last year. I think he's definitely one of those guys who could be a bell cow type back. He's, he's got a lot of all around ability. Uh, he runs between the tackles well. He gets outside well. He can catch the ball a little bit, and he's a home run threat too. So I, he is somebody I like, but I still like Sony Michelle a little bit more than I like Carryon Johnson. The question is, is Sony Michelle going to get the same amount of opportunities as Carryon Johnson is going to get? Because we know how Belichick likes to spread it around amongst his running backs. All right, that was our uh, running back recap or running back preview of the NFL draft. We talked a little bit about last year's running backs as well. Uh, before we wrap this episode up, Zach, let's do a trip around CMB, our league, the March Madness Extra Life Challenge. Where are we at with that, Zach? I think there are a couple names at the top that might surprise some people. Yep, uh, we've got Jake and Jordan Awanazin. Looks like that's the, the two teams that it's between. 
Uh, Jake has Michigan State beating Kentucky, so he needs Michigan State to win. And then uh, Jordan, I believe, he has Virginia beating Gonzaga, which Gonzaga's out. So it's uh, Virginia and Michigan State um, that will decide the winner here. We're all rooting for Jordan Iwanazan, right? We can all agree. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, hands down. Um, remind us what the top prize is for winning the March Madness Extra Life Challenge. Yeah, you just get the Extra Life. So uh, when we do the draft selection during the pre-draft meeting, uh, if they pull your name, it goes back in the back in the hat if you do not like where you are at and uh, get an Extra Life at getting your name picked, which you always want to be the last name standing. Tweet of the Week. All right, uh, Brian, I don't believe you're on Twitter, but do you have a tweet of the week? No, no. Still still don't tweet. Still don't tweet. Zach, I know you tweet occasionally. Yeah. Uh, are you, you're on Twitter. Did you have a tweet of the week that you'd like to share? I don't. I've just been liking a bunch of Braves tweets since it's uh, been opening week, I guess you could say. So uh, go Braves. All right, I have one, of course, and I just this one. I, this is my, this might be the tweet of the year. I know it's March twenty March twenty second when this was tweeted. It's it's in the running. This uh, when it comes like we're in December and we're doing a review of all of the tweets of the week. This one has to be mentioned. Okay. Um, I don't even know how to say this person's name, but on March twenty second, sad sports fan tweeted, "Whatever happened to Carmelo Anthony?" And this person, EJM, responds and says, the milkman, the paperboy, evening TV. And I don't know, it just – you can't read that and not do it in the full house voice. That's pretty good. That's good. And it was also topical because it was right around the time of the Aunt Becky scandal that we don't have to get into. But that was definitely around the same time. Yeah, yeah. All right, Zach, any closing words? Brian, any closing words before we part here? No, I, I have nothing. All right, NFL draft less than a month away. We're going to talk next time, uh, Brian, about wide receivers. So we'll probably talk about the top eight to ten there. Brian, appreciate you coming on. And episode 109, we'll see you next week. Here goes nothing. Oh. Woo. That's a W. That's E1.